You are Locked On Bruins. Brian Fenley with you. And yes, we are going to have an autopsy report of the Bruins' loss yesterday to Cincinnati, 24-14 the final. But before we get into that, I want to encourage you to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Brian Fenley. The show's Twitter is Locked On Bruins. And fire an email away if you have any comments, critiques, or questions at LockedOnBruins at gmail.com. Hit that subscribe button, and remember, this is your team every day. All right, so, Bruin fans, how are you feeling, first of all? I feel like I'm a therapist here when I have my patient come in the room, and I tell them... You know, it's okay to feel your feelings. And that's kind of what I want to stress right now. I know you're frustrated. I know the team is frustrated by the way this game went about. I know it's a little bit disheartening from a player's perspective and a fan's perspective and certainly a coach's perspective. But I want you to know that I don't want you to get too caught up in your emotions because it's a small sample size. It's one game. Now, there are 11 more games in the regular season. So, let's once the emotions start to withdraw and you can get back to thinking logically here, let's realize that this is one game and put it into perspective. Now, as far as the game, we are going to get into that, of course. We're also going to talk about some injuries that really affected the outcome of this game and then some injuries that were surprises come kickoff that only hurt the Bruins' chances further. And we'll finish off the show by reacting to Chip Kelly, some of his post-game comments after the loss to Cincinnati. So I want to start out by not even talking about the game. The Bruins were up against it before the game even started. So, you know, reports had surfaced throughout fall camp that, you know, Darnay Holmes had an injury he was dealing with, Theo Howard, an injury, Joshua Kelly, the bell cow running back. But it just seemed from a lot of the media outlets that those three at least we felt pretty comfortable in that they would at least get in the game and give it a go give it a try out there against Cincinnati we did not see any of those three players and you know that those three are absolute leaders they are stars and they energize the rest of their team by their you know exquisite play so you missed those three, plus there was no Kaz Allen, the speedster, the running back, and a guy who can just terrorize a defense with his speed. He was out because of academic issues, according to Chip Kelly. And then one of your most consistent reliable, dependable offensive lineman and Michael Alves at that left guard spot hurt his back late in late in the week as far as practice is concerned. And so he did not even travel. Kaz Allen did not even travel either. 
and Alves had started the last 25 games. So we lauded this offensive line for what we thought were going to be four returning starters. They ended up just having three returning starters because Alves did not show up because of an injury. And then, of course, you had Sean Ryan manning that left tackle spot, the true freshman. And John Gaines was the one that they plugged in for Michael Alves at the left guard spot. But, you know, I'm not necessarily using this information as an excuse, but I'm just spitting out the facts because you have certain players that you rely on more than others, and when they aren't able to suit up and play, it's going to make a difference whether, you know, you want to use it as an excuse or not. And and we saw some of the, the side effects of those players missing by how the performed out there against Cincinnati. Now, before I get into, you know, and analyzing Dorian Thompson Robinson, I do want to point out that I really did believe that the game-altering play that honestly I felt decided the outcome came in the first quarter. It was during the Bruins' first offensive drive when they started to get things rolling. They began it at their own 37-yard line, and they got to Cincy's five. And it looked like they were going to punch it in for a touchdown. And throughout that drive, we saw all sorts of wizardry from Chip Kelly. You saw multiple tight end sets out there. You saw the Bruins involved in a lot of movement pre-snap and unbalanced lines. And this was all to, to baffle the Cincinnati defense. And it looked like it was working. But you got down to the five-yard line, and DTR fumbles the football. And Cincinnati would go on in their ensuing drive, score, and they would never trail the rest of the game. And I just felt like, you know, I know momentum is a cliche thing to use in sports. So I kind of drift away from using that. But I do believe that that, the, the, the elation in that it was your first drive of the season for the Bruins and to get all the way down to the five-yard line and to feel so self-confident about how things are going only to see it end up in a not-so-favorable result. You know, for anyone, it would be devastating, you know, to your psyche. And, you know, Dorian had a tough night out there. And he knows that. Fans know that. He completed only eight passes through it. 156 yards, two touchdown passes, two fumbles. And, you know, he has been stressing the desire to run more. He had 10 rushes, but it accounted for negative 20 yards. The turnovers were haunting the Bruins. You had, as I said, the two DTR fumbles, and they came in the red zone. Two interceptions by DTR. One was just... It looked like a miscommunication. One looked like a miscommunication where the receiver was running a comeback route, and then Dorian just thinks that he's going vertical and just airs it out way downfield, and it ends up getting picked off. And kind of what we saw from Dorian was a lot of zone read stuff, and he wasn't put in a lot of throwing situations. And it just seemed to me like the coaching staff didn't want to risk him, you know, taking a lot of 
shots, deep shots in the passing game. He ended up in that second half three for 15 through the air, and that's a completion percentage of 20%. But I will say that there were flashes of brilliance from DTR. He had the 75-yard touchdown pass to Demetric Felton. He had that 39-yard throw and catch to Jalen Irwin. The 7-yard touchdown throw to Chase Cota. But those are obviously just three plays and a smaller sample size. And when you look at the bulk of the game, Dorian seemed to be scrambling a lot, feeling like he was under duress, and his throws were sailing over receivers, and the offense seemed to be more comfortable in handing it off. And you don't have your star running back, so you go to Demetric Felton, who Chip Kelly said really impressed in practice leading up to the game, so he got the start. But it became predictable when they started to stick more to the ground game. And so Cincinnati started to stack the box. And it was hard to get first downs. And for an offense that it talked a lot about in the fall, getting the tight ends involved and using that as a lethal weapon to the the offense, there was not a, a pass attempt to a tight end until the second quarter. And it was intended to Jordan Wilson. He was wide open. The ball sailed over his head. There was only one completed pass to a tight end from UCLA, and that came in the fourth quarter as DTR found Greg Dulcich for a first down. But, you know, I'm going to go through some of the stats that certainly tell the story as to to Cincinnati and, and, and how – they were able to persevere. And I'm going to get to that after this. But first, the NFL season begins next week, which means Crossover Wednesday will be back. For the entire regular NFL season, you will get a special episode every Wednesday as the hosts from opposing sides meet up to preview the excitement of the games happening that week. Find your favorite team wherever you get your podcasts and be sure not to miss the NFL listeners' favorite segment. And you know as we get ready for NFL season to get going and college football season is beginning their slate, there are all sorts of ways to get tickets. And I'm not just talking about tickets for a sporting event, but any live entertainment. Maybe you've got a band or an artist that you want to check out. And there's certainly all sorts of options to get those tickets, but I want to bring to your attention... Vivid Seats. It's an online event ticket marketplace, and it's going to bring you experiences that last a lifetime. You'll be able to to watch up close your favorite teams or artists perform in person. And by doing so with this app, you'll earn credit back on all purchases made through the Vivid App Seats app via the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Vivid Seats offers great prices and the reward statuses range from getting credit from 10% up to 16% through the month of August. So you're going to want to get on this quickly. Before you can do anything, you got to go get the app. So you know you've got a ton of apps on your phone. Go to the App Store or Google Play. Download the Vivid Seats app 
and you can be automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Reward Loyalty Program and will have the opportunity to enjoy credits on all purchases as part of the Vivid Seats Rewards. It's 100% guaranteed all orders, and if you enter the promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout, you'll have a chance to receive a discount of up to $100. So go check out Vivid Seats. So go check out Vivid Seats, the app, for great deals and a chance to check out your favorite team or artist. You know, the UCLA offense not able to get its artistry going as we kind of outlined the stats from this game. UCLA 62 rushing yards compared to Cincinnati's 175. And later on in this segment, I'll discuss more about the Bearcats and their prowess running the football, which I was completely caught off guard because two of their four best backs were not playing in this game. I also downplayed how well the offensive line would play for Cincinnati, given the fact that they had three new starters, but they did great in pass protection. And then in the passing yardage category, UCLA 156 yards, Cincinnati 242. One of the most alarming differences in this game was as far as time of possession. And Cincinnati had the football for almost 39 minutes. Cincinnati had it for 39 minutes. UCLA just about 21 minutes. And when you see such a differential, you can only fathom how much the UCLA defense was getting worn out. They were tired. They were on the field endlessly. And it certainly seemed towards the end of the game that the Cincy running game was able to kind of take advantage of that defense being out there way too long. The 218 yards of total offense for the Bruins in this game was actually its lowest in a game since it had 210 in a loss in 2016 against Colorado. Something to keep in mind there. Now, what we did not see for the Bruins was a pass rush. This is something that was a lingering issue last season, and we did not see the guys get a lot of pressure on quarterback Des Ritter, who seemed in stretches in this game to have plenty of time to throw. And so that problem of, of getting a... a a lack of pass rush seems to be something that had carried over from last year, at least in this game. Now, I, I certainly think that this team can overwrite their lack thereof of a pass rush. It's only one game. As far as this game is concerned, there was only one sack all game for UCLA. And the Cincy running game, I'll be honest, I was wrong. I completely missed the mark. I had thought that because they were down two backs in this game and had a new rigged offensive line with a lot of fresh faces, that those two things would measure up for a substandard rushing attack performance. And I was quickly disproven. And you saw in this game, as the running game picked up for Cincinnati really well in the second half, since he did a great job of blocking up field and the broadcaster's if you're watching the game on TV, took note of this. 
and and basically it would turn a five yard pickup for Cincy into a first down, you know, a, a 10 to 15 yard gain. And those were just demoralizing for the UCLA defense. And, and again, I got to credit the Bearcats O-line for having a, a squeamish start in the first quarter. They had three false start penalties in the first quarter. And so it seemed like my outlook on how they were going to perform was correct. Oh, yeah, they're new. They don't know how to play with each other. And here we go. Three false start penalties in the first quarter. But those guys really got it together as the game went on. And and shout out to their two backs, Mike Warren and, and Jared Dokes, who, who were outstanding on the ground. And Mike Warren, 92 yards rushing, had a touchdown. Des Ritter, one interception. He had two touchdown passes through it for 242 yards. And, you know, it's not like Cincinnati was without mistakes and unblemished. I mean, they missed a field goal. They had a fumble. They had an interception deep in UCLA territory. They had all those pre-snap penalties I was talking about. So with that said, there were plenty of instances where UCLA could have taken advantage of some of those mishaps for Cincinnati. If I could just highlight a couple positive notes on the UCLA defense. Jay Shaw, who started for Darnay Holmes, had a pick in the end zone. He ran it back 66 yards. Elijah Gates had a career-high 10 tackles. He had seven in the first half alone. He had never had more than six in a game last year. Antonio Maffi, nine tackles. That is a career high for him. His previous career best was four, and that came last year against Fresno State. And Chris Barnes did what he could. The interior linebacking core was thin and Chris Barnes had a nice pass breakup on third down late in the first half but you know but there were times in that second half where the defense it looked tired you know and when you're on the field for that long as I mentioned quite the discrepancy in time of possession it's going to catch up to you all right, coming up, Chip Kelly, media members, caught up with him after the game, and he discussed a couple things, including the message he would have for Dorian Thompson-Robinson after four turnovers, plus what does he think about his team moving forward? We'll get into all of that next. Hey, and welcome back to Locked on Bruins. Brian Fenley with you as we come upon the final segment of the show Chip Kelly, after the 24-14 loss to Cincinnati last night, was asked by LA Times beat reporter Ben Bolch what you tell your quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson after his four turnovers. And Kelly responded that, look, it's not all of his fault. He said that there were times in this game, and may I say a lot of times in this game, where Dorian was running for his life. He was under duress, flushed out of the pocket, forced to improvise. And so Kelly said, you know, part of the blame has to go on the offensive line. But with that said, the offensive line was a bit disjointed because Michael Alves did not travel with the team because of a reported back injury. And then you also had a fresh face at left tackle and Sean Ryan, who's just a true freshman. So, 
you know, that made it a little bit harder for Dorian Thompson Robinson to, to get going and to feel comfortable in the pocket. Kelly also added that all of those injuries that affected the team coming into this game, whether it's Theo Howard, Joshua Kelly, Darnay Holmes, Michael Alves, Kaz Allen, none of those are season-ending. He says that they kind of go by a game-by-game -game basis here and a week-by-week -week basis, and he hopes to have those guys back. He said that he sort of erred on the the safe side and didn't want to throw any of those guys out there in harm's way in order to avoid it being a, a bigger issue, you know, aggravating an injury and making it a season-ending injury. You know, he said, I'll, I'll take the the precautionary move and and sit these guys out for one game, and hopefully they heal enough to play later on in the season. Speaking of the season, it did not look like the officials in this game were ready for the season. It, it seemed like they needed a preseason game, and I don't know how that works, but my goodness. I mean, they picked up three flags, at least, in this game. They also completely blew a fumble that was recovered by UCLA and returned for a touchdown, which could have changed the complexion of the game because then it would have been a one-score game in the fourth. But somebody decided to blow the whistle prematurely, which ruled the, the play dead. So there were a ton of errors from this officiating crew that hampered the Bruins' chances. The good thing they have a little bit extra time before their next game because they played a Thursday game. So the guys will be able to rest up and heal and have their home opener against San Diego State on Saturday. And we will have plenty of lead up to that game as we get you set for that. But that'll do it for this episode for Locked on Bruins. I'm Brian Fenley.